0: Our first reading is taken from the book of Hebrews, beginning at chapter 5, verses 1 to 10. Every high priest chosen from among mortals is put in charge of things pertaining to God on their behalf, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He is able to deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself is subject to weakness. And because of this, he must offer sacrifice for his own sins, as well as for those of the people. And one does not presume to take this honour, but takes it only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not glorify himself in becoming a high priest, but was appointed by the one who said to him, "'You are my son,' Today I have begotten you, as he also says, sorry, as he says also in another place, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And having been made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. Having been designated by God a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God.
1: please stand for our gospel reading hear the gospel of our lord jesus christ according to mark glory to you O lord james and john the sons of zebedee came forward to him and said to him teacher we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you and he said to them What is it you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. But Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup I drink or be baptised with the baptism that I am baptised with? They replied, We are able. And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptised, you will be baptised. But to sit at my right hand or my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. When the ten heard of this, they began to be angry with James and John. So Jesus called them and said to them, You know that among the Gentiles, those whom they recognise as their rulers, lord it over them. And their great ones are tyrants over them. But it is not so among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave of all. The Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to give life, his life, a ransom for many. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Please be seated. Now let me pray just before I start. Father God, I want to thank you for this morning. And Lord, I pray that these words uh, would be your words, not mine that where um, things need to be dropped, that they would be dropped, Uh, that where things need to be emphasised, that you would bring that to mind. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now, um, I know I've got young people here and adults alike, so my message is almost twofold today. My message is to teenagers and also to adults. So adults, have you ever been in a situation where you have been startled by what you have seen in the mirror? Yes, yes? yes. right, excellent. Um, or had that feeling that you've looked in the mirror and you've gone, where is that 21-year-old that I still feel like, yeah, on the inside? It's one of the things my mum always used to say to me, was she said, sort of like, where, where's the 21-year-old gone, Mark? Because I still feel like the 21-year-old inside, and I can see a lot of nodding of heads, which is good. And this morning, our readings are about the disciples, and I'm going to talk a little bit about the disciples. But I want you to understand that actually, the way they were, what they were going through, actually, we're all a bit like them as well. You know that 20-year-old that you still fit? That 20-year-old, that's still in there. Yeah, the passions, the love, everything is still there. Uh, So whether you're a teen or whether you're an adult, you can still engage in what we hear today from Jesus's story. Now, um, I think this morning's reading, particularly the gospel, is about uh, Jesus's disciples and the fact that they were youthful. Uh, We hear it coming out of the story of James and John asking Jesus to do something for them. Uh, we hear a little bit of um, passion coming out of them. Uh, A youthful spirit, should I say. Uh, And this reading today uh, really hones in on that. Uh, and today I'm going to do three things. One, I'm going to talk to you about the disciples and put some context around them. Two, I'm going to look at how Jesus deals with James and John and the other ten. And I'm going to call this Parenting Jesus Style 101. Yeah, Because in some ways what he's doing is he's educating the people around him. And then I'm going to look at what the Hebrews uh, mentions as being being called by God. Well, Jesus refers to it in the fact that he says, it's not mine to grant, uh, whether you sit on my left or my right, but that is for somebody else. Uh, And he makes reference to that. So they're the three things I'm going to do. But let's get straight to the point. Um, First of all, I want to say that Jesus answers the question with a no to his disciples. Yeah, Sometimes it is hard to hear a no, and it leaves us thinking... Okay, where do I go? Now, teenagers, can you remember the last time you were told no? 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 (laughs) Right. It happens sometimes. Parents will tell you that the reason they say no is there's good reasons for it. And it's a bit like that today with Jesus, yeah? Jesus was saying no, but he does the classic parent thing, which is he says no, but he wraps it up in a way that maybe it's not a no. Yeah, He says, oh, you don't know what you're asking. Now, I don't know whether we've got anybody here today who has asked for something. And their parents have said, "Uh, actually, yeah. Well, I don't think that's really the best thing for you at the moment. I think we might need to wait. It's not a no, but it's not a yes either. Well, any teenager will tell you that is still a no. Yeah. Um, And James and John have asked... To sit at Jesus' left and right hands. And Jesus has said, No, it's not happening. And he stays with that all the way through. But he uses the opportunity to teach the disciples, not just James and John, but the rest of them as well, about something about how he wants them to live. I've got to find my place now. Um, We're going to be looking at that. But let's look at the disciples. Here we go. What do we particularly know about the disciples? We know that James and John were the sons of Zebedee. That was mentioned today in our reading. In another gospel, they're called the sons of thunder. Now, this is a name given to James and John, not by Jesus, but by the world around them. They're a little bit lively, they're probably making a lot of noise. They're probably like a lot of our teenage boys, yeah? Um, and we've got to remember that we're looking at Jesus' disciples. So, one of the things we do know is that they were fishermen. James and John definitely were because they left their dad with the boat when they went to go and follow Jesus. We also know that Peter was a fisherman because he went back to being a fisherman after uh, Jesus died. And how old do we think the disciples were? Now, there is some discussion around this, and I've been challenged on my thinking around this in the past as well. So I've done a little bit of research. We know, the things that we know that are constant is we know that Jesus was around about 30 when he started his ministry. And it's uh, good to recognise that most rabbis, most teachers, would not have had anyone with them who was necessarily older than them. Normally their students, their disciples, would have been younger. So we know that most of the disciples would have been around about 30 and below. So that's our maximum age. We also know that we've got a younger age coming in. Young men in the Jewish tradition became men at the age of 13. They'll go through a thing called a bar mitzvah, is what we call it now. Uh, They would stop their education and they would be classified as men. So we've got a minimum age, 13 and 30. But what we can do is we can start to go in a little bit deeper into that and we can say, right, James and John... They were working, they were doing a trade. That means they were at least 15 because they had started working in a trade. But I'm going to add to that, and I'm going to say, actually, probably a couple more years because they were able to leave their dad. And they were able to leave him with the boat, which means they were considered like adults. So I'm going to say 17 is around about the minimum age we can look at for a disciple. And when we look at um, things like uh, Peter was married Because we know that Jesus healed his mother-in-law. We know that Peter, um, when he followed Jesus, the cost was quite big. So I'm going to say Peter could have been about 27. So we're starting to look at 27, 17, about a 10-year gap between them. But what we do know is that we've got 12 young men. Now, um, age is one of those things that I just want to make a a little point. Uh, Matt, could you stand up for me? Can everybody look at Matt for me? I know at home that's really difficult because you can't see Matt. But Matt is actually 34. Is that right, Matt? Excellent. Matt's 34. You can sit down there. Matt is uh, one year older than Jesus was when uh, he went to the cross. So four years earlier from where Matt is would have been the age that Jesus started his ministry. It was an age where people were considered to be able to teach as a rabbi. And Jesus stuck to that. Now, Ollie, can I get you to stand up? It was Ollie's birthday last week. How old were you last week, Ollie? 18. Right, thank you. So, Ollie at the age of 18 is the sort of age of a disciple that we'll be looking at between Matt's age and Ollie's age. You can sit down now. Thank you very much. Well done, Ollie. There was no prep with that. He did that all on his own. Very good. We didn't have to do any training or anything. It was good. Um, yeah, what we do know is we've got a group of young men, 12 in total, and they're, they're being like young men, like Ollie, like Malachi, like Nathan, that they, um, they've got a maturity, they've got a, a physicalness that they can go and work and they can do stuff, but they're still learning, they're still young. And this is what we hear in the gospel reading today. We hear James and John saying, this is what we want you to do for us, Jesus. And there's me. Oh, that's actually quite arrogant in some ways, isn't it? Jesus, will you do something for us, but I'm not going to tell you what it is. Um, I think if my child or my children sat down here, asked me to do something and I didn't know what it was, I think the answer was going to be no straight away. Um, But they did that because they were being youthful. Now let's think about what does it mean to be a young person. I've been giving it some thought and I don't want to offend any young people here. So if I do, I apologize. You can shout at me later. Yeah. I'm going to say that a young person during these ages of 17 to 23 is someone who um, spends a lot of time focusing on the here and now. Yeah. The present that they're standing within their groups, within their friendships, is really important to them. How others see them, how they're respected by other people in the group. There's a sense of jostling for attention within the places that they find themselves. And although they live in the ever present, the here and the now, they're having to keep one eye on the future because they know that the future is coming. They're told that the world is their oyster, that everything is open to them. And there's a sense of adventure with that, but it's also mixed with intrepidation and anxiety. I think that's a good way of summing up a youthful generation. And that's what Jesus is dealing with when he speaks to James and John. That's the very nature of the disciples. And it's actually what Jesus uses to take the gospel message out into the world. So being young is good. And two, Jesus knows what it's like to be young, not just himself, but with those that he worked with. So he's confronted with this question from James of John uh, about sitting on his left and his right. They have the tenacity to ask. And he says, no. But he goes on. And he says, do you not understand what you are asking? To take of my cup, and to take on my baptism. And James and John in this actually say, yeah, we get that. I want that. And me, do they realise what they are saying? Because you see, we're looking at it from a point of view of understanding about a cup of sacrifice. A cup of suffering. We also understand about baptism, that when Jesus was baptised, the Holy Spirit rested on him. And rested in him. And that's what we see at Pentecost as well. Is we see the Holy Spirit suddenly come onto God's people. And people see it. They recognise it. And what Jesus is saying to James and John is he's saying, what you're asking is quite big. Are you willing? Now the only cup that they might have seen Jesus take might have been the cup at uh, the wedding at Cana. If it was literal... If it was just uh, a symbol, it would be his way of life. If his baptism meant to be washed clean, change your direction and go after God, the disciples are right in saying, yeah, I want that. That's why I'm here. I'm following you, Jesus. But with hindsight, what we can see is we can see that that is so much bigger of what they are asking. So Jesus uses this opportunity to teach them about something more than just a place of authority, a place of respect. But he still says no to sitting to the left and right of me. Now, we're going to come on to that. But before I do go on to that, let's look at the other 10 disciples. There is outrage. Uh, There is uproar. How dare James and John ask this question of Jesus? And what happens is Jesus, again, he doesn't just say no. He uses it as a learning opportunity. This is why I call this bit um, parenting like Jesus. Yeah, Um, The 101 of how to do stuff. Um, Because he knows what's happening. He can hear it in the hearts and the minds of the other disciples. And he uses it as a learning opportunity. Now... I love it when um, people ask to do something because my answer is always going to be yes. But I follow it up with the, but are you sure? Yeah. Uh, One of the films that I really love is Spider-Man. And there's a thing in uh, Spider-Man where he says, with great power comes great responsibility. Yeah. And there is a balance between having authority and power and having responsibility. And this is what Jesus is trying to teach his disciples. And uh, for me, as a parent or as a youth worker, when a young person says, can I do that? The answer is yes. But are you sure you're willing to take on everything that comes with it? Let me give you an example. Someone comes to me and says, I want to be trusted to cook, Mark. Okay, yes, that's great. But you do realise that that means helping with the washing up, doing the food shop. Planning the meals, taking a full part in what we are doing. You say you want to cook, are you willing to do the rest? You see, James and John were saying, We want to be there. And Jesus is saying, Are you sure? Are you ready for what that entails? You see, sometimes when we are told no for something or we're told wait, we need to listen to what's happening. And we need to find our way through it. So. You can't either be in or out. Fully in or fully out. There's no sitting on the fence with being in Jesus's ministry. James and John are looking for a glory. They're looking for a position of authority. And Jesus continues to say No but leads them further. You see, what's happening is um, Jesus is teaching them to live a kingdom life, to bring glory into other people's lives, to share in his cup and in his baptism, um, and working out how to live in a place of service through love and care of others. We call it the gospel and living out the gospel. Um, And it's amazing how Jesus takes the disciples, the ones who have left education because their time has come to an end. A group of boys, a group of lads who argue with each other, that have passion and enthusiasm, that are willing to listen and learn and follow what their master does even when they don't really get 100% what it's about all the time. He took them and turned the world upside down. I look at what Jesus did with his disciples and I think it is amazing. And we get to stand here today because of those 12 disciples and the other people that were disciples alongside them who took God's message of Jesus Christ... And what that brings to the world around them. They took it out. They took the cup of sacrifice. They took the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The baptism of water that was Jesus' baptism. And they shared it with those around them. Now, I want to look at my final point today. Which is about how Jesus says that the places on his left and his right. Are not for his to give away. The Hebrew writer calls it being called by God and describes in detail how some roles, in particular the role of the priest, can only be designated by God Himself. Now, in the reading, we heard the wonderful name, uh, the, uh, the high priest, the priest in the order of Melchizedek. Now, I love the names in the Old Testament. I remember when we were thinking of names for our children. My grandmother, Nana, she really wanted me to have uh, biblical names for my children. Yeah? So I sat her down and I said, I've got two. Uh, one of them is Zebedee. And the other is Melchizedek. Of which she looked at me very strangely and said, no, I meant Mark, Luke, James, John. Yeah? Um, but I love the names in the Old Testament. I think they are brilliant. But we have this name, the Order of Melchizedek. And what does that mean? And actually, it relates back to what Jesus was talking about. Yeah, Melchizedek, we find in the Old Testament, it's in Genesis uh, 14. Uh, he's a king, but he is also a priest of the God Most High, which is the God of Israel. And he appears to have no lineage. He just appears in the book. We don't hear much about him. But he blesses Abraham after he saved his brother Lot when he is captured. And Melchizedek brings gifts of bread and wine. And he says a blessing over uh, God's people. He was appointed without any input from man. He is just there. And then we hear in Hebrews, we hear the role of the priest, the high priest, of connecting God's people back to God through the Holy of Holies. That was their job. That was, is it Aaron? Aaron? Aaron. Aaron. All right, Aaron's job, the Holy of Holies, that inner place, that sanctuary where God's spirit dwelt, connecting God's people to him. That's what the high priest was doing. Now Moses on Mount Sinai uh, said, this is Aaron's job and all of his descendants will have this job. And when there was a dispute about this, Moses collected up a staff from every tribe, put it in the tent of meeting and they waited. And overnight, there was only one staff that budded. So dead wood, a staff that budded. And it was Aaron's. And it didn't just produce leaf, it produced fruit. And if you read it, it talks about how almonds were produced. And it's a sign that God was with him. God was saying, This is my chosen person. It wasn't from man, it wasn't just from Moses. And it's these symbols, these images that are placed on Jesus, that he is the high priest that he's going to intercede between God and man. But he doesn't have to deal with his own sin because he's sinless. So the stuff that we hear in Hebrews, Jesus didn't have to make uh, recompense for himself. He didn't have to make himself right because he already was right. And it's about seeing that there is a place that is set aside for certain people. And Jesus is saying the left and the right... That's not for me to say because that has been destined by God for others. So although he's saying no, he has looked for a way forward of finding God's call for his disciples. You see, there is a role to play. And for some people, a call from God is to a holy life. It is to giving up their life completely for God to a priestly role. But there is also a call to every single believer to walk with both a cup of suffering and a baptism of the Holy Spirit. And to work out how to serve others, which is what Jesus was talking about with his disciples. And there's a call on us to respond to God Because we believe in Jesus. So to finish my talk, I want to leave you with three things. God is interested in you. Whatever age you are, he's interested in the person that's on the inside. It might not be the one that you see in the mirror. It might not be the one that is fully there. Like if you're a teenager and you feel that there's so much more. It's like God's interested in you where you are now. Just like Jesus was interested in the disciples. He's interested in your passions. He doesn't just say no and walk away. He says, okay, how do we walk together? I want to ask you to let Jesus know your heart's desires like James and John did. Because if they hadn't have asked, we wouldn't wouldn't be better off. We wouldn't be able to hear this today if James and John hadn't said, This is where we're at, Jesus. But be ready for Jesus to share his heart with you and the call on you to be his church, his rescue plan for our families, for our friends, for our neighbors. He calls us into action. And I want to ask you, thirdly and finally, to look out for signs of his call in your life. For his call is there, but we have to choose to respond to it. Are you willing, like James and John, to say, okay, I hear about the cup, I hear about the baptism, I'm in. See, James and John went on to have to put what they'd said yes to into action. They had to stand up and they had to understand what it meant to suffer as a follower of Christ. But they also needed to walk in the same baptism that Jesus had. And they walked with authority and with power. And this heart in them to want to be in Jesus' glory, they got to see it, but they got to see it day to day. It's like Peter when he walked out of the temple. He said, gold and silver I do not have, but what I have I give you. Now get up in the name of Jesus Christ and walk. And he was talking to somebody who had nothing at the side of the road. They walked with power and with authority. The very heart that they had that brought out a little bit of annoyance in the other disciples, they got to walk that life. Because Jesus had said, maybe not now, not that bit, but yeah, we're going to do life together. Let me pray. Father God, I want to thank you for everyone sat here and everybody at home. And Lord, I want to pray that your spirit would convict our hearts to walk with you, that we would hear what it is to be your disciple, to take your kingdom from these places and see your glory come in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Mark. What a wonderful reminder of the way that Jesus deals with us, every one of us, because he knows us inside out, literally going to stand and sing that wonderful hymn when I